Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Moncton, Anthony Smith versus Volkan Uzdemir. Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Canada, a very underrated main event, and I uh, I think someone's going to take a canvas nap in this one. Yeah, it's a great main event, man. You know, Volkan Ozdemir, they don't call him no time for no reason. He uh, he generally puts these men unconscious on that mat. Within the first round, and Anthony Smith, I mean, he's had, you know, quite the career resurgence. You know, he went from being, uh, you know, your typical local scene jobber. Now he's uh, moved up to 205 pounds. He's smashed two legends. And I mean, uh, this guy's been doing a lot of uh, winning lately, man. Uh, I can't, I can't exactly uh, say how many fights he's won, but he's only lost two fights within the last, you know, five or six years. So it's a great main event. It really is, man, and I just know it's going to be action-packed. I doubt that anyone's going to be humping legs. These two are going to stand and bang until one man falls, so very excited about the prospects of that. And uh, obviously, we didn't get to do a recap show for that Khabib versus McGregor fight, but dude, holy shit. I mean, I, I can't even sit here and talk about how, oh, you know, if a good striker does this against Khabib, a good striker wouldn't let Khabib get away with this and that. Uh Khabib went out there and dropped Conor McGregor, Shaq. So I think uh, we got to put him up there in the top three pound for pound discussion now. Twenty seven and zero. Twenty seven and zero. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't even think he lost that third round. So I'm, I'm still going with uh, he hasn't lost the round yet. And I mean, uh, he's the greatest lightweight of all time at the current moment. You know, uh, you know that fight with Tony Ferguson down the line is going to be is a real tough test. But I mean, just the whole uh, spectacle in itself is great to see. You know, it, it was good to see uh, Khabib, you know, uh, do that for Abdul Manap and all the other Russian politicians. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it wasn't just a matter of him going out there and, you know, laying on Connor. Like we said, he dropped him in the second round. But, man, one thing I want to say about Connor is that you remember in that initial takedown defense that Connor had, I kind of felt like he, he wanted to prove a point to Khabib that, you know, not only uh, can I beat you standing, but I can beat you on the mat as well. And instead of disengaging, he tries to get on top of uh, Khabib. And it was at that moment, Shaq, that I knew he was fucked because uh, why would you try to test? Why would you try to prove something about your grappling against a guy like Khabib? Why not just try to disengage, keep it standing? But you know, uh, they all succumb to Khabib's pressure, isn't that right? Yeah, you know whether or not he was uh, able to stuff that one. You know, it was highly unlikely he was uh, going to be able to stuff it again. You know. Uh, it was as simple as grabbing that low single, and Khabib, man, that pressure is just ridiculous, man. Uh, that grappling's just ridiculous. When he gets a hold of you, you will will. I mean, are we looking at a guy that's actually going to retire undefeated in MMA, or is Tony Ferguson the one to hand him that first L? You know, whether it's Tony or not, we know no one leaves this game uh, without a uh, without taking an L, and it's just a matter of. How Khabib wants to do this if he wants to retire, you know, uh, in the middle of his prime, you know, he, re he really doesn't need to fight. You know, he's got a, he's got all the money. But, uh, you know, if I had to say, oh, of course, he'll lose one, man. This game doesn't uh, you don't leave this game without taking it now. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, even Johnny Bones, he's coming back. The the percentages, the odds, the more these guys fight, the more that uh, there's a chance that they're going to take that first L. So I'm very curious to see how this pans out for Habib Nurmagomedov. And hopefully fifth time is the charm for him and Tony Ferguson because we have to see that fucking fight, man. So let's, uh, let's break down this car start to finish, man. Because first up in the lightweight division, we got Stevie Braveheart Ray's minus 150. The comeback on Jessen Ayari is plus 130. Now, Shaq, Jessen Ayari's making the move down to 155 pounds his last fight he took on the former number one contender Darren Till and Stevie Ray coming off two uh two uh disappointing losses man you know obviously he didn't want to get knocked out against Felder in Scotland and we know what happens when you go in there with a weasel like Cage and he's an expert weasel out there he won the split Stevie's back is up against the wall you think he's gonna make something happen here and keep his job it's an interesting fight. You know, Ayari's a tough guy out of Germany. Like you said, he's making that drop to 55. You know, he's got more of the uh, kind of like a similar style to Cajun, just a, I would say it's a lesser version. You know, Cajun's able to knock out guys like uh, Adriana Martins and, you know, arguably beat guys like Rustam Kabilov. So, you know, uh, Stevie's kind of got some experience 
against this style. But, you know, Ayari, uh, you know, I, I really don't see him being able to hurt Stevie um, with any shots, you know, in terms of his hands or anything like that. You know, I see his approach, you know, coming out here trying to eke out a decision, run around, circle, trying to tip and run. And, you know, Ayari... Against certain guys, he's you know he can do that fairly well. But I mean, this guy's chin inside that pocket when they box inside that pocket is very questionable. I mean, even dating back to his local scene days, you know he gets real brave in there uh, as as the fight progresses and he likes to prove a point. And you know his chin simply uh, isn't adequate enough for him to consistently do that. Man, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have seen that knockout loss to. Uh, What's the what's my guy uh, Magomedov? He's fighting Luis Taylor in the uh, PFL tournament finals for the a million dollars. You know he was KO'd stiff, unconscious, and uh, that's not the only time he's been knocked out unconscious. He's got some some devastating KO losses, and you know now he's coming off that fight with uh, Jim Wallhead and Darren Till. You know I felt like Wallhead the openings were there, but you know Wallhead just wasn't able to pull the trigger, and uh, that fight got real hairy in the third round. And then his fight with Till, you know, Till was coming off a two-year layoff, and, you know, he definitely uh, wobbled Justin all over the place. Now, Stevie, you know, he's kind of a slow-paced fighter, but, you know, Stevie, he's solid everywhere. You know, he's not really great in any aspect, but he's solid everywhere, and he's a tough guy from Scotland, very experienced for his age. Um you know, I, I kind of see Stevie, you know, tracking Ayari down throughout the course of the fight. You know, I feel like Ayari's going to try to do what he always does, run and circle. And eventually, uh, Stevie will cut off that cage. You know, I thought he did a good job against Cajun. But, you know, Cajun's a king weasel, man. He, I, I've been saying that for a long time. He's a solid weasel. The guy's very elusive. But I don't think Ayari's on that level. I think, uh, you know... Stevie will track him down, cut off that cage, and get into some pocket exchanges. And eventually uh, wobble Justin Ayari enough times to win a decision or possibly get a knockout. But uh, I see Stevie Ray getting his hand raised. I do as well, Shaq. And I, I feel like a lot of people are putting way too much emphasis in the fact that Justin Ayari is doing this camp at ATT. You know, for me, all that means is that he's Dustin Poirier's punching bag. He's Jorge Masvidal's punching bag. He's Colby Covington's punching bag. So I don't really see that as a good thing for Justin Ayari. He was already a super chinny guy at 170 pounds. Now he's dropping those extra 15 pounds of water in his brain, in his body. Man, I'm not convinced he's going to be able to take a shot here from Stevie Ray. You know, Stevie, like you mentioned, he is he is a bit on the slower side, but, man, he's super experienced. He's a guy that was having five-round wars and cage warriors before he uh, made his UFC debut, obviously, and now he's been in there. And, you know, I know it's fun to, to make jokes about how his fights with Joe Lozon and Ross Pearson were super close. And, yeah, look, if he's fighting a top 15 guy, then we absolutely have to bring that up. But Justin Ayari, you know... Uh, Aside from the Darren Till fight where he absolutely got blown out the water, he's never seen this level before, man. The biggest, uh, you know, the biggest fight he's ever had besides Till, where, like I said, he got dropped a hundred times, was Jim Wallhead, and Jim Wallhead also wobbled him more than once. And man, you know, uh, Justin Ayari doesn't have a good history against uh, Scottish fighters because you go back to that Alan Johnston fight, and that is Stevie Ray's teammate over at TriStar. And it wasn't just a, a KO loss, Shaq. It was one of the most devastating KOs I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he got hit with one punch. And the debate here is, did he did he start getting cocky and put his hands down and then get knocked out with the follow-ups? Or was he out on his feet and then he ate those follow-ups? Like, it was, it was a scary, devastating KO. It looked like he put his hands down, started getting cocky, and then he just uh, <laughs> he ate three punches and went down cold. So... Justin Ayari does not have a good chin. I feel like he's a poor man's version of Jotko and Machida from the orthodox stance. And Stevie Ray is a southpaw. I think that uh, the right hook and uh, the straight left are going to be big weapons in this fight. I wouldn't be surprised if Stevie actually landed one of his spins that he's been throwing in his last few fights, but they haven't been landing as much. I wouldn't be surprised if he found a home for that here. So I'm going to go with Stevie Ray via knockout. Now next up in the heavyweight division, we got Arjan Bueller. He's minus 200. The comeback on Marcelo Gomez, plus 170. Now, Shaq, both these guys had to take their first L's in their last fights. But now they meet, and uh, one of these top prospects has to take two back-to-back -back L's in a row. Who's it going to be? Yeah, it's real interesting because uh, both of these guys were actually supposed to fight on the local scene a few years back, and uh, Marcelo ended up pulling out. And, you know, as far as both of their last fight goes, uh, you know, Arjan was doing his thing against uh, – adam fluke submission guy but uh you know uh i feel like they're both very green in their games Golem was coming off that loss against uh big timmy johnson and you know uh timmy beat him everywhere 
Man, he pushed the pace on him in the boxing exchanges. Marcelo continuously found himself in the clinch uh, in Tim's world, losing. And, you know, it's an interesting fight because, you know, some would say the line could definitely be a little bit off here considering both guys are really early in their careers. They're both green. Um, you know, I would have to say Marcelo's probably a more skilled uh, striker, but he's very young in his game. He's only got six fights. He's only been past a minute. 30 once and we we saw how that went um now arjan in his fight with uh, luis Enrique, you know he showed a couple good things you know he showed good pressure good solid pressure uh had some good boxing exchanges had a good takedown he dropped luis a couple times um you know i feel like it's a very close evenly matched fight 50 50 the line could be off but uh you know it's very tough to say you know uh i'll take marcelo in a upset you know but I could definitely see Arjan getting this done, man. I feel like uh, Marcelo could still have a ways to go. And, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure how good Marcelo really is. I'm not sure how good uh, Arjan is. You know, I feel like uh, Marcelo, he's going down to ATT now. He's, uh, you know, got a new camp behind him. Arjan's also been going down to AKA some. So we're going to see both guys are going to be improving. You could be in for a couple surprises, but I'll take going for an upset. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting matchup. I'm very curious to see how it plays out because this could be that launching point and that lets you know the trajectory for both these guys, man. Because coming off that first L, which both of these guys experienced uh, their last time out, we got to see who's coming back with that drive, who made the biggest adjustments, who made the biggest improvements. So that's what I'm most curious for. And obviously, stylistically speaking, Arjan does put that pressure on. You know, he's a, he's a poor man's uh, DC. You know what I'm saying? He's a... Uh, that's that's what he is and interestingly enough uh people from both our countries uh, respectively you know brazil and india most times the brazilian fighter is going to be favored o- over the indian fighter but not in this case and i think that's due to the wrestling credentials of arjan bueller you know he is a former canadian olympian uh i don't i don't, I don't know the extent of those credentials shack but hey the dude's a fucking olympian so we got to give him that and you know he's got a country behind his back he wants to represent so I wish him the best. Uh, as far as Marcelo's game is concerned, you know, I thought he did decent against Tim Johnson considering, look, this is the first non-jobber he's ever fought. This is the first time he's ever been, you know, past the two-minute mark in a fight, let alone past the first round. Uh, I thought he went out there, won the first round, and, you know, the second half of the second round, Tim started to take over, which Tim does. Tim is a guy that beat Shamil Abdurahimov. Tim is a guy that beat Marcin Tibura. Tim is a guy that arguably beat Volkov. So... You know, that's a tough out, man. And I thought Marzella, for a guy that was 5-0, and 6-0, and it wasn't too bad. You know, he, he took his ass whooping like a man. Now it's about, is that a sign of things to come when he gets pressured? Or was that just first L time? If that's a sign of things to come when he gets pressured, Arjan's probably going to come out here and beat him. But if that was simply first L and something that he can come back from, I think he can build from that performance because he did land some devastating leg kicks. And we noticed that the leg kicks were a big weapon for Luis Henrique in that third round, which was the one round that he won against Arjan Bueller. So if Marcelo is able to keep the standing, which he was able to keep it standing against Tim for the duration of the fight, who knows? Maybe uh, it could get interesting. But I'm going to go on the opposite way as you, man. I think uh, the pressure of Arjan will uh, eke out a decision here. So I'm going to go with Arjan. Now, next up, we got... Tay Edwards, he's minus 485, and Doan Maj is plus 385. Now, man, you going with the big favorite here, or are you going with South Africa's own? Yeah, you know, Tay Edwards had a nice fight against uh, Tweedy on the Contender Series, and Don Madge seems like a, a talented Muay Thai striker, but I kind of feel like he's undersized here. You know, Tay Edwards uh, has, has some nice power, but ultimately, even if uh, Madge is, uh, you know, striking presented some problems, let's not forget Tay Edwards is a Division One wrestler, and uh, I feel like he could probably bail himself out with the takedowns. You know, Madge has never faced a wrestler at this caliber before. You know, I've heard some good things about Madge. I mean, he was supposed to fight Tamor in his debut, but he uh, ended up pulling out, and, uh, you know, he's been training with Cyborg down there in L.A., so we'll, uh, we'll see what he's got, but I'll take Tay Edwards by decision. Yeah, Tay Edwards seemed to be a really athletic wrestler, a lot of potential, super young, but he went out there, he smashed his opportunity on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. And as far as Don Maj, you know, he uh, he's a poor man's pimp. I mean, look, you got Don Julio, you got Don Juan, and now we got Don Maj. I don't know if he's going to come out here and beat Tay Edwards, but uh, much respect to Don Maj. I'm going to go with Tay Edwards here via submission. 
Now, next up, we got Sarah Morass. She's minus 170. The comeback on Talita Bernardo is plus 150. Now, Shaq, this is really interesting, man, because you and I spoke after Talita Bernardo's last fight. We said, if she ever fights in the UFC again, we will fade her. But there's something really interesting about this matchup, man, because with Sarah Morass, her style is literally flopping to her back and hoping that she gets that fluke armbar. You think she's going to get that fluke armbar against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and Talita Bernardo? Yeah, it's a very interesting fight. Uh, Morass with that 18% takedown defense. Uh, I mean, she just can't stay off her back. I mean, she, it's just plain and simple. Um... Toledo, you know, she's very, I wouldn't say clueless, but she's just not, uh, she's very green in the stand-up department, you know, I feel like she's lacking uh, the knowledge on how to strike in, in the UFC, and, uh, but one thing you can say about Toledo, man, she, she knows how to get takedown, she, uh, she got on top of Irene three or four times, she got on top of Renault for a solid little bit, she uh, got out of marrying Renault's armbar, so we know that she can get out of armbars, and, uh, you know, Morass, Although she does uh, flop to her back a lot, I mean, the girl's got some power, you know. She kind of wobbled on Drage in their fight. Uh, I mean, she's a big, thick girl, and, you know, uh, she wobbled Lucy in their fight as well. But, you know, it was, it was more so the, on the wild side. Uh, you know, it was uncontrolled, you know. She's uh, definitely fairly green, but, you know, her game's that armbar. You know, I don't think that's going to be able to work here. But, you know, if she was ever going to have success on the feet, it would probably be this fight. Um, but I'm going to take Talita in an upset, man. I, I just don't see uh, Morass being able to to uh, pull off that armbar when they get to the mat. Like I said, Talita's very uh, good in the wrestling exchanges. She's she's got a, She knows how to outposition these girls. So, you know, I feel like this girl's a little bit more to her level. Um but we'll see, man. You know, I don't trust either one of these girls, but I'll, I'll take uh, Toledo for an upset. I actually feel you on this, bro, because just stylistically speaking, that's the only reason. I feel like the two girls that went out there and beat Toledo, you know, Irena Aldana, when you're a striker on Irena's level, you're able to stuff those takedowns, keep it standing. Of course you're going to gas out the jiu-jitsu fighter, but Sarah Morass is nowhere on that level in terms of striking, not to mention her game plan is completely different. Like I said, Irene was trying to keep the fight standing the whole time, pick her apart, stuff those takedowns. But with uh, with Sarah Mora, she's going to be flopping, pulling guard, trying to get the submissions, and that plays right into Toledo's uh, wheelhouse. So I'm actually going with Toledo Bernardo for the upset as well, and we can look to fade her against a striker down the line. Now this matchup, man. This is a really good one because we got Calvin Cater. He's minus 270. The comeback on Chris Fishgold is plus 230. Now, we've got on record and called Calvin Cater a top five guy in the UFC featherweight division. And I stand by that. But this is an interesting matchup because with Chris Fishgold, he's a well-rounded guy. Some could make the argument that he's a specialist on the mat. He's got a 17-1 record coming into his UFC debut. Do you think this is a bit of a letdown spot, Shaq, or do you think Calvin Cater is going to cruise here? Yeah, you know, Fishgold's an interesting guy. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of hype coming from Cage Warriors, and we know Cage Warriors produces some solid fighters. Um, you know, I really wasn't impressed with him uh, for most of his Cage Warriors career up until his last fight. It seemed like he improved leaps and bounds uh, before his last fight, and you know, he had a, a year layoff in between his second to last fight but uh, against Heron Webb in that last fight. So, you know, and he's got, and he's coming off another year layoff as well. So, I mean, uh, Calvin p could possibly be in for a surprise. This guy is a specialist. I mean, he's a big, you know, stocky and he's dropping the featherweight. So we know uh, he's going to be carrying a lot of weight. And I mean, 17 and one, that record's got to be uh, respected. And, you know, Calvin's also had a similar record, you know, coming into his debut when he fought Philly. Uh, you know, the, the real interesting question is, you know, Calvin, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't understand the, uh, the hellacious ass whooping he took against, uh, Hanato Maikano. I mean, that was, uh, that was a three round, you know, butchering and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back from that mentally. You know, this could definitely be a letdown spot. This guy Fishgold, like I said, could bring us uh, some surprises, but, uh, you know, I feel like Fishgold's going to come out real hard in the first round, probably win the first round. But, uh, you know, I feel like that jab, that straight one-two is going to be too much for him as the fight progresses. I feel like uh, that drop to featherweight is going to play its toll on him. And, uh, you know, I feel like just the experience of Calvin in these big pressure moments is going to, you know, take him a long way. I mean, this guy's fought Philly, 
on short notice, came through with a 30-27, you know, knocked out Shane Burgos undefeated in his hometown. You had that three-round experience against a top-five guy in Moicano. And, uh, you know, let's see how he does against this Fishgold guy. But, uh, you know, this Fishgold guy, he's, that last fight was pretty impressive. I mean, he's got some potential, so and he's been making improvements. So uh, I'm going to take Calvin, but we'll see. I'm going to take Calvin as well, but man, if I was a parlaying man, I'd be very scared to, pa to parlay Calvin, even though he's such a super solid fighter, and he's a top five guy in my opinion, but this Chris Fishgold kid brings some interesting challenges to the table. You know, we haven't really seen Calvin Cater in there with a grappling specialist, and you know, Chris, he kind of reminds me of a a UK Prezeris. You know, he's short, he's stocky, he throws big bombs, he wants to get it to the mat, he'll strangle you on there, so... This kid uh, should not be underestimated, but I do think that the UFC experience and the activity, and what I mean by activity, I don't mean volume inside the fight. I just mean the, I just mean the fact that Calvin Cater has been super active, and Chris Fishgold is coming off all those, uh, you know, he had a year layoff, then he came back, now he took another year layoff. So I don't know uh, if Chris Fishgold is going to feel a little bit of ring rust plus the UFC octagon jitters, or maybe he just goes out there and performs, uh, being that this is his 19th uh, professional fight, I believe. So... I'm I'm just scared to count this kid out, but I do think that Calvin's crisp striking, his boxing, his head movement, his experience inside the UFC will pay dividends in this spot, and I see him taking home a 29-28 unanimous decision. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Nazrat Hakparest. He's minus 900. The comeback on T-Bout Goody is plus 600. Check. It's interesting, man, to see the line this wide. However, many are predicting a first-round finish for Nazrat Hakparest. He hasn't uh, quite you know, been finishing guys in the first round yet in his UFC career, but he does have an opportunity to do that against a guy in Goody who, we've seen we've seen Goody's fights, we've seen Goody get stopped in under 30 seconds before, but I thought Goody put on his best uh, performance to date, his last two fights against Holbrook and Sage, so you think uh, T-Bot Goody is going to get this massive upset, or you think Nasrat is the rightful favorite at minus 900? Yeah, I like Nasrat in this spot, you know, I feel like uh, Goody's a tough guy, but I feel like he gave that fight away against Sage. You know, I feel like he had every opportunity, but uh, I just feel like he continuously slows down. And you know, uh, Sage, powerful kid, uh, was able to eke out a decision and steal two of the rounds. You know, I feel like he literally handed that fight to Sage. Um, but you know, Goody's a tough guy. The line could possibly be a little wide, but you know, uh, whether or not we think Mark the Casey's a fraud or not, I was very impressed with Nasrat's, you know, continuous pressure throughout the three rounds. I mean, he stayed on him. You know, didn't take any breaks off in the fight. And I feel like uh, eventually, you know, uh, he could possibly get a knock a knockout. We've seen Goody wobbled several times before by, you know, complete bums like Timu Pakalin and uh, some of these other guys. But, you know, his only wins against Andrew Holbrook. And I just feel like Goody doesn't uh, complete his job enough. I feel like he's a tough guy, but I feel like he just comes up short a lot. So even if it went to three rounds, I see Nashra getting his hand raised. So uh, I like Hack Perez. Yeah, and Hack Barast is a bit of a gangster. I mean, the guy doesn't even have to fight. Let's just put it this way. He was uh, he was getting Mercedes before he was in the UFC, if you know what I mean, Shaq. But listen, I think in this spot, you know, the French jobber's chin is going to be exposed once again. Uh, how many times have we seen T-Bout Goody take canvas naps, get choked out, quick tap, get dropped, the whole bit? I will say his last two fights have been his best UFC performances, but I think that even though Nazrat hasn't been finishing people, he's been hurting people really badly. He dropped Marcin Held multiple times. He absolutely butchered DeCasey. And I think if he touches the chin of Tibau Goody, it's going to be uh, history repeated. So I actually see a second-round knockout for Nazrat Hackbarast. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Sean Strickland. He's minus 120. The comeback on Nordin Taleb is plus 100. It's interesting, Shaq. Nordin Taleb is an underdog in Canada. He does train at TriStar, but... On the other hand, I mean, is it going to be the jabs of Strickland or is it going to be the leg kicks of Taleb? Yeah, it's an interesting fight. You know, Strickland, very solid record. Nordine uh, definitely had a, a somewhat of a career resurgence. He's been doing his thing. I know he's both of them are coming off lo devastating losses to Brazilian Strickland, you know, uh, getting KO'd for the first time against Elizu. And, I mean, uh, Claudio Enrique Silva, you know, he did it again. Uh, that guy is very scary to fight. And uh, he put that pressure on Nordin, and, uh, you know, that was just a bad matchup for Nordin, you know. Uh, it's an interesting fight, you know. I feel like Strickland has one of the best jabs in that division. But, you know, I feel like Strickland, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, this whole 
when is he going to have his uh, performance thing? I feel like that should be shut down now. I feel like, uh, you know, he is what he is. The three best guys he's fought, he's lost to. And, uh, you know, in dominating fashion in all three. You know, I feel like uh, he's a tough guy, but I don't see him ever uh, touching those rankings or anything like that. And, you know, Nordine probably won't either. But, you know, I feel like uh, it's going to be, you know, who will Nordine be able to kick harder or is Strickland going to land enough jabs? Now, the fact that this fight's in Canada, because I feel like this is going to be close, I feel like Strickland needs to really pick it up. I feel like, you know, he, he can't, even though he beat Tom Breeze, which is uh, one of his better performances, you know, I feel like he's really going to have to make this thing clear. Because I feel like in Canada, you know, with the sound of Nordine, with uh, of Nordine's kicks, and, uh, you know, I feel like he might be able to just land the harder shots in a very close contested battle. You know, I feel like Nordine almost pulled a, a great win, a upset win over Ponzinibbio uh, with that similar style. But we, we know what uh, Pons does to these guys' faces. And the decision didn't go his way. But, uh, you know, I question Strickland's striking defense. You know, I think it's he's got a pretty jab, but I feel like uh, his defense off that jab can be, you know, very questionable at times. Um, it's a it's a very interesting fight. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if Strickland was able to get the decision. But like I said, I feel like it's going to be very tough. Uh, we know Strickland's probably the better guy on the mat, but he likes to stick to that jab and, you know, uh, slip with the jab. You know, he likes to st uh, stick to that strategy mostly in most of his fights. But uh, it's going to be a con closely contested battle. But I think Nordine's going to edge out a sp close split decision win. And uh, it's a tough it's a tough fight to read, man. You know, both of these guys are, you know, top 30 guys. Um, but I'll take Nordine by close decision. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for both these guys. Like you said, solid top 30 guys. They're both tough outs for anyone they fight, you know, except Elazio Zaleski, right? But even then, even him, he was uh, – Definitely had to eat a couple jabs. If you if you fight Sean Strickland, you're gonna have to eat a couple jabs. And obviously the leg kicks of Talib, they've always been a big weapon throughout his career. I question if he can slow down a guy like Sean Strickland with them. You know, I think there'll be big weapons in the first round. But one thing that's cost Nordine in the past is that he kind of does slow down as the fights go on. You know, for example, that Santiago Ponzinibbio fight, I did take the plus two sixty five shot. On Nordine, it was a very closely contested fight, but it really came down to that last round. It was one to one going into the third, and you know you can't you can't be giving up the takedowns. You can't be uh, having lower activity than your opponent. And Nordine is a forty year old at this point, Shaq. So I just think that in terms of the matchup, I think Sean has more to offer late. I think it's gonna be a very close fight. But I think he takes over in the second and third round, and I think his jab, his straight right, his knee, even a, even a takedown here and there are going to be big weapons for Sean Strickland. And I also see a close decision, but I see it for Strickland's way. I'm going to go with Sean Strickland uh, via majority decision. Now also in the welterweight division, we got Alex Garcia. He's minus 190. The comeback on court, McGee is plus 165. Shaq, the biggest criticism for Alex Garcia has always been his gas tank. And the biggest praise that Court McGee gets is his gas tank. So, you think that Court McGee can take over against a gassed-out Alex Garcia, or do you simply think that Alex is too young and fresh for him and could potentially knock him out? Yeah, you know, I feel like Garcia's punching power is a little bit overrated. You know, I feel like uh, he's more of a, you know, a wrestler. I mean, the guy gets a lot of takedowns. I think he averages like four takedowns a fight. He took down Mag Magny several times. He took down Strickland. Uh, took down Muslim Salikov, uh, Swick. Uh, I mean, the guy gets a lot of takedowns. I feel like his game is more suitable to a wrestler. So, you know, uh, this whole Alex being a big power puncher, but that could be relevant in this fight considering, you know, Court's getting a little uh, older these days, and Court's definitely on the decline since that Ponzinibbio fight. I mean, I feel like we've been saying Ponzinibbio's uh, name a lot on this show. I mean, Ponzinibbio fucks a lot of these guys up, um, and he – put a, a severe ass open on court. And ever since, I feel like he's been on the decline, you know, even in that Dom still fight that he won in his hometown, you know, I felt like after that first wobble in the, or in the opening exchange, I felt like the fight was very close. Uh, I felt like court was wobbling every time he got hit on the chin, but you know, Dom still is a very stocky, powerful guy that uh, did also wobble Danny hot chocolate, but Hey, hot chocolate's got no chin either, you know, but uh, Alex Garcia you know, he's one of those guys that likes to go win-lose, win-lose, win-lose. And, you know, I feel like he's going to continue that trend. I feel like he's going to get a win. I feel like, you know, uh, Court will be able to 
put that pressure on him. But, uh, you know, I feel like with that pressure, I feel like even if Court was slightly, you know, peppering him or landing a little bit more point shots, I feel like Alex can land one blow just to slightly wobble him and erase all that workout. And I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Alex got on top of him a couple of times. I just feel like he's a more powerful guy. And it seems like after L, he uh, always comes back looking, you know, somewhat good. So, you know, I'm going to take Garcia in this. Uh, you know, is the line a little bit high? Mm, who knows, man? You know, I feel like the Alex Garcia, is he is he trustworthy at that line? Because I do feel like the guy is kind of mentally weak. You know, I feel like, you know, uh, when there is some resistance, sometimes he just folds like his last fight against the flare like the Strickland fight, you know, Alex is a guy that has to operate at his pace, you know, when he uh, gets a little push, you know, he's a big guy with big muscles, and big guys with big muscles gas out, and they start looking for ways out, so, you know, it's a tough fight, but I just feel like Court McGee is just slightly too weathered, slightly too old to get this job done, so I'll take uh, Alex Garcia just by landing the occasional big uh, overhand right, a takedown here and there, and just, you know, edging out the rounds. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about Alex Garcia is that all the guys he's lost to are six foot one and taller. Not saying he can't, he can't lose to a shorter guy, but historically speaking, he goes out there and beats the shorter guys, and Court McGee is a shorter guy, not to mention he's an older guy, and he's not operating on the same frequency that he once did. I mean, this is a guy that beat Robert Whitaker back in the day at, at 170 pounds. And I know in his last fight, he did last the distance with Sean Strickland, which most of Strickland's opponents do. I, I just think that... Alex Garcia has slightly left in the tank. I know there's been a couple performances there. You know, we can talk about the Mike Pyle fight. You know, he had that knee brace. He was looking slow. But, hey, he knocked him out in under three minutes. So he, he took care of business there. It's just about if Court McGee can eat the shots and if Alex decides to stop throwing because he's too scared to gas out. That, that That's my question here. But I don't think that's going to happen, man. And I like that point you brought up that Alex has this reputation for being this big power puncher. Don't get me wrong. The Duke can fucking crack. He, he's knocked out many men before, but what he should really be known for are his takedowns, man. He seems to get a lot of takedowns in almost every fight. So the Duke can wrestle too, and uh, I, I see him being slightly better than Court McGee. So I see him either winning by knockout or by decision, probably not by submission. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Gian Vellante, or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Jean Vellante. He's minus 245. The comeback on Ed Herman is plus 205. So you're going to take the guy in Jean Valanche who always finds a way to lose, or are you going to take the guy in Ed Herman who uh, is as slow as molasses and is about 50 years old? All I can say about this fight is just, my God, this might be very ugly. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, both of these guys are just ugly, man. That's the best way I can describe it. You know, Valanche... The guys took an L's to Pat Cummings, you know. Uh, this fight with Sapperbeck, that was just an ugly scene. Uh, you know, this guy's just, John Valente, he's a tough guy, but he's just not very smart in there, man. You know, it's so funny. Uh, you know, his best performance is, is probably Corey Anderson, and a lot of people don't know is uh, even with all those leg kicks, Valente was down on two cards uh, going into the third round. So, I mean, this guy Valente uh, is very untrustworthy. Luckily for him, he's fighting Ed Herman, who's – you know, man, you know, he, the guy's been, how long has Ed Herman been in the UFC? Over 10 years, a lot of, and you know, with 10 years in the UFC comes uh, 10 years of UFC damage, man. And, uh, you know, I feel like Herman doesn't take the same shot anymore. I mean, that's quite obvious. You know, uh, he's coming in with that big belly and those uh, cornrows these days. But, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, Shortfuse is a tough guy, man. He's coming off that fight with CB, another ugly, ugly fight. And that's all I see this fight being. I'll take Volante just because I feel like he's got a little bit more left in the tank. But Volante's not very smart in that, man. You know, when he fought Tom Lawler, I mean, you remember that first round? I mean, Volante kind of was winning just on volume. But that whole first round, he kept walking into a right hook. And it's like, bro, make an adjustment. But he was unable to do that. And he got ended up getting knocked out. His fight with Alvi, I definitely thought he lost uh, two other rounds. You know, but... I'll take Volante. I just feel like he's got slightly more left in the tank. But, uh, my God, that's going to be an ugly fight. Ed Herman's actually been in the UFC over 10 years. He made his UFC debut against Scott Smith June 16th, 2007. He's been in the UFC over 10 years. You know what happens when you reach that 10-year mark of your career, period? This motherfucker's been fighting goddamn 15 years 
the UFC part's been 10 years. So, you know, he's got to be at the tail end. But the thing is, Volante, man, he just gives his opponents every chance to win. Kind of like this next guy we're going to talk about, Andre Sukumtut. It's just, you know, Volante could be kicking his ass the entire fight and then run into one right hook and uh, go down, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I do think if it hits the scorecards, interestingly enough, because John... You know, does tend to lose splits from time to time. I think he'll have more volume than Ed Herman, man. So I, I do think that if it goes all three, this time Jean Volante will get his arm raised. That Barroso fight, I thought he clearly won. And even one judge scored that for Barroso. So Volante always finds a way to fuck it up. Uh, so if it hits the scorecards, I got Volante. But you know what, man? I think Volante is going to whoop his ass the entire fight and then get knocked out. And it's going to be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Wow, John Volante uh, pulled a sukumtut again. So, you know what I'm saying. I, I'm going to go with Ed Herman via fluke KO. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Andre, the Asian sensation, sukumtut. He's minus 170. The comeback on Jonathan Martinez is plus 150. Shaq, I mean, look, Andre sukumtut seems like he's more talented than a lot of these guys he fights. He seems like he's a better athlete than a lot of these guys he fights. But Jesus Christ, he's the perfect example that if you're a dummy, like you're not going to get these wins, man. Fight IQ is a real thing. It's not some uh, made up. Uh, it's not some made up concept. And uh, it seems like Andre doesn't really have much IQ in there, my man. I mean, we can go back to the Morales fight. We can go back to dropping Alejandro three times and still losing the split. We most recently fucking what's his name? Sean O'Malley breaks his foot with the head kick. All you have to do is let this guy back up. You get a TKO. Instead, he decides to uh, play jujitsu with Sean O'Malley, and and he's fighting off submissions. So it, it's a it's a sad story. Jonathan Martinez is coming down or coming up from flyweight. You're gonna go with the flyweight here. You're gonna go with Andre Sukumtut. Sukumtut is one of these guys, like we said, uh, his record going to decision. He's like one six. But. The only good thing Sukumtach has going for him is naturally he's a skilled, powerful guy. You know, God bless him with the uh, ability to knock man unconscious. He's got 11 KOs on his record. He hits very hard. His counter shots, uh, you know, if they're not experienced, exchanging in that pocket, you know, he could possibly catch you like he did against Luke Sanders, like how he dropped Alejandro three times. But like we said, the guy, I think he like doesn't really think in there, like we uh, said. Um, I feel like, you know, all that you know, all the blinking in there. I'm not going to say he's scared to fight, but, you know, I just feel like the guy, there's a lot of thoughts running through that guy's mind when he's in there. Um, Martinez coming up from flyaway. He does have a, uh, he has experience against, you know, UFC guys like Match now, but he is coming up from flyaway. He kind of reminds me of Cheeto Vera. You know, I feel like he's a scrappy kid, but, uh, you know, his like, boxing exchanges inside the pocket, you know, are definitely lacking. For this level so you know i feel like if sukumtash can you know keep it in close range and you know actually let his hands go you know uh he'll probably knock this kid out but it's very tough to trust this guy especially at this type of line lucky for luckily for him he's fighting the flyweight but uh i mean this guy's iq is uh i mean not just dropping alejandro three times is what he did after dropping him you know he points one two and three as if, uh, you know, he's not fighting the best weasel in the division. Like, bro, you got to do your homework on Alejandro. Like, you can drop Alejandro all you want. He, he'll still win that round. <laughs> I mean, You drop you know, Alejandro a hundred times, you're still losing the fight. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, uh, the guy, you know, even his fight with uh, Albert Morales, you know, uh, it's one-to-one -one going into the third round, and he just goes, he empties the tank, you know, tr empties the tank going for this left hook to the body, and it's so ugly, and, and then he uh, gives up his back and, you know, ends up losing that fight. You know, uh, his one wins pretty – I'm not going to say it's a fluke because, you know, Luke Sanders isn't – he isn't the smartest guy either. But, uh, you know, the kid – Andre's got power, you know. So, you know, I'll take Sukumtach just because, uh, you know, I really feel like if he can get into that pocket exchange, I do feel like he's a naturally talented uh, power striker. But, uh, man, I, I don't trust that guy. I want nothing to do with that guy. But uh, hopefully he gets his job done so we can uh, fade him down the line. <laughs> yeah, you know, this kid Jonathan Martinez, even though he's moving up from flyweight, at least he's had the right amount of experience on the regional scene coming into his UFC debut where I don't think that he'll be a complete fish out of water. You know, his only loss is a DQ against Matt Schnell. He knocked out Matt Schnell with an illegal knee. 
But prior to that, you know, he did lose the first round. It seemed like he started to turn things around in the second round. He's a very scrappy guy, especially on the mat. He can scramble a lot. Like you mentioned, his boxing isn't the best. And if he runs at uh, Sukumtut with his chin up in the air, throwing some ugly wild bombs, chances are he's going to get countered and get knocked out because, you know, we can talk all the shit we want about Sukumtut being an idiot but or being a dummy, but you know what, man? That fucking Luke Sanders KO was beautiful. So... That Cody Norby flying EKO was beautiful. So when Andre Sukumtut actually lets the shit go, it's great to watch. It's just that you can't trust him to do that, and now he's so in his head. Uh, you know, he lets the social media bullshit get to him. Like, you got to just, like, not even worry about that shit, man. You got your own life. Like, who gives a fuck what some losers are saying about you? That, that, that's just my opinion on the subject. So I'm going to go with Jonathan Martinez for an upset here, man. I think that uh, Andre Sukumtut, listen, it's not like – when he's standing that he goes out there dictates the pace he's always looking to counter so that's actually going to give martinez the chance to get up on points that's the reason why andre is one and six when fights go to decision but it, like i said if martinez comes in there wild and gets countered andre can put out any man in that division he's a knockout artist but when he doesn't knock you out he loses the fight jonathan seems like he's got a pretty good chin so i'm gonna say he doesn't get knocked out i'm gonna say he comes out there and gets the upset i'm gonna go with jonathan martinez Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Misha Sarkunov. He's minus 460. The comeback on Patrick Cummins is plus 365. I don't know where to start on this one, man, because we kind of thought Misha was a fraud from the jump. But the thing with Pat Cummins is every time he loses, it's absolutely devastating. Not to mention his last fight out, he got beat at his own game. So now I kind of feel like it's not just his chin on the, on the decline, Shaq. It's his wrestling, too, which was allegedly supposed to be the you know his uh, one redeeming quality. So I got to know, man. You think Misha is going to be able to front run here, or you think he's going to get grinded up? Yeah, you know, I just feel like uh, Corey Anderson's, you know, just a better MMA wrestler. I mean, Corey's the complete package. It's just uh, we know what happens if you can uh, touch that button. But uh, as far as Misha and, uh, and Cummings go... I mean, you guys have heard me say over and over, Misha Serkinov's a complete fraud. If you put him on one, put him in one bad spot, he'll uh, find his way out. We saw what happened in that Volcan fight. It was a desperate uh, attempt to close the distance, and you know, one shot on the air, and uh, he went out stiff. But we know Volcan does that a lot. And um, his fight with Glover Teixeira, you know, he was getting the better of the exchanges, but you know, the second uh, trouble presented itself, you know, he wasn't able to uh, get out of it. Um, you know, Cummings, my God, that's another guy where <laughs> a lot of his fights are ugly scenes. But, you know, he does have wins over uh, Blackovich. He's got a win over uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, I mean, he's got a couple wins on his resume. So, you know, uh, if they're and Volante. So, you know, with the right matchups, he can uh, he can do some damage. I'm, it's just about can he present trouble for Misha? You know, I, I, I don't think so. I think Misha's going to get through this one. Um, you know, he's been going down to Vegas, training at Extreme Couture. So we'll see the improvements in his game, if, if there is any improvements in his game. But, uh, you know, I, I think he'll get through this one probably by finish. I just don't think Patrick can uh, – I feel sorry for Patrick, man. You know, he didn't have the right welcome into the sport, man. They threw him right into the lines then right off the bat. He didn't have any time to develop his game. But even with that said, he's still got a couple wins, so I respect him a lot. But I think Misha's, you know, probably going to get a, a knockout finish here. My boy Pat Cummins uh, beat Jean Valanche and Jan Blakovich, so it's pretty ugly to watch. It was ugly to watch back in the day. It's even uglier to watch now. When this guy gets hit, man, I, I just feel bad for him. And then the last one, seeing him get out-wrestled like that, I mean, I did hear behind the scenes there was an injury early in the first round, but so what? This, what if there's an injury early in the first round here, you know? So I think that as long as Misha Serkunov doesn't you know have to face any early adversity he should get through this man i think this is the spot where he can come out here and front run and then when he fights someone serious uh, we make the talks about fading him but right now he's probably going to go out there i'm going to say he's going to knock out pat cummins so misha Serkunov probably inside the distance co-main event of the evening we got michael the menace johnson he's minus 630 the comeback on artem lobov is plus 465 shack when michael johnson I've always said he's the best 500 fighter of all time. I know that he's a bit of a flake, but he's a flake against the best guys on planet Earth. I mean, this is a guy that knocked out Dustin Poirier, beat Edson Barbosa, beat Tony Ferguson. Artem Lobov is 13 and 14. Do you think Artem Lobov even has a chance in this fight, Shaq? Do you think the line is a little bit short at minus 630? Because I was thinking minus 1,200. So are you saying Reza Madadi and Jury and Paul Shafts are the best guys in the world? <laughs> well recently but, uh, at least 
But uh, anyways, yeah, man, I got Michael in this fight, 30-27. Artem's a tough guy, but, you know, uh, I feel like there's the jab to the body, the volume, the left hand. But, you know, Artem's a tough guy. He's got a solid chin. That fight with Philly, you know, pretty much proves his toughness. I mean, he got dropped hard in that first round and still created some sketchy pocket exchanges. I feel like he's going to do a similar thing here, but I just feel like Michael Johnson's volume, uh, not necessarily his experience, but he's just a better fighter everywhere, man. As long as he plays it cool, plays it smart, you know, don't trade with him too much. I mean, Artem's lost more fights than he's won. So, you know, I feel like Michael Johnson uh, should win this very handedly 30-27. I see a lot of people going with the Michael Johnson decision. I think that, Obviously, if it hits the scorecards, he is going to win. But I'm actually going to go with the Michael Johnson knockout, man. You know, I know Artem's known for having a good chin. He's got the T-Rex arms. He's a bar brawler, the whole bit. But let's not forget about Mehdi Baghdad dropping him with that head kick. Let's not forget about Andre Feely dropping him with that head kick. Let's not forget about Teruto Ishihara dropping him with that left hand in the third round. I just think the speed of Michael Johnson is going to be way too much in this spot, man. I think the first round might be the closest round because we know Artem does throw some heat the first three minutes. But historically speaking, he always gasses in those later rounds and his opponents take over. But the thing here is that I think this might be the fastest guy he's ever fought in the UFC. I think he's getting knocked out. I'm going to go with Michael Johnson via second round KO victory. Main event of the evening. Volcan No Time Uzdemir. He's minus 170. The comeback on Anthony Lionheart Smith is plus 150. It's interesting, Shaq, because Smith is one of those guys where you gas out on a guy like Anthony Smith and he will take you out. He's actually had more fights than most of the guys on the UFC roster. I mean, the guy doesn't he have over uh, 30 or 40 fights? Uh, Anthony Smith's been around the block once or twice. Volcan Uzdemir brings serious knockout power to the table. Before he was a you know, top five UFC light heavyweight contender. He was Anthony Rumble Johnson's main sparring partner. You know if you're in there sparring stand-up with a guy like Anthony Rumble on the reg, on the daily. I mean, you, you heard about my boy uh, Alistair Overeem taking those canvas naps. Well, Uzdemir is the opposite. Uzdemir could actually hang. So on the feet, Uzdemir is hell on wheels. I got to know, man. Is it going to be Uzdemir early? Or you think that Anthony Smith can weather that storm and possibly take over late? Yeah, I mean, I feel like he, Uzdemir is, you know, the European version of Rumble Johnson. Uh, you know, uh, you know his fight with OSP, that first round was amazing. He comes out guns blazing. But after that, I mean, he slowed down considerably. Uh, you know, I felt like it was a very close decision. Uh, Volcan did enough to get his hand raised, but that third round was, my God, that was ugly. I mean, he was squaring his stance, getting caught with punches, you know, completely gassed out. And, uh, you know, his second two fights, uh, or his next two fights against Misha Serkinov, you know, uh, we actually call that, you know, because we, we've been saying Misha's a, a fraud for a long time. But, you know, Volcan, he's a big power puncher, man. 12 knockouts, and, I mean, they don't call the guy no time for no reason, man. So, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Smith, he definitely has the reputation of coming back late, especially in his days at 185 now. At 205, he knocked out uh, two legends in the first round. So, you know, maybe that uh, that weight, uh, the weight change class is, uh, you know, a good move for him, um, you know, getting off the good starts. You know, I feel like uh, this whole, you know, he's beating two washed up bums, you know, I, I kind of disagree because, you know, they can say whatever they want, but I, I recall people taking one unit shots on Rashad Evans, and I remember them uh, betting Shogun or betting Anthony Smith uh, down to a minus 150. So, I mean, people clearly went against uh, uh, Anthony Smith in those fights. And, you know, we'll see if it happens here. You know, I feel like Volcan knows in there. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of hard to say what he's really got. I mean, I mean, we know what he's got. He's got knockout power in the first round, but this is a five-round fight. What happens if this thing gets to the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, man? Uh, every time he's gone past the first round, he's completely gassed out. Uh, I know he did fight Cormier. Cormier's, you know, arguably one of the greatest of all time. But, I mean, at the end of that first round, you know, he was flattened out and he was uh, looking to give up. But we know Cormier does that to a lot of men. But, uh, you know, this fight's really interesting. I feel like if Smith can somehow, if that chin, I mean, he has been knocked out more than five times. But those those knockout losses were back in, like, 2000, 2008, 2007, way back in the day. Uh, he has, really hasn't had a true knockout loss on the chin uh, since then, man. You know, there's other knockout losses by a, a body kick to Tiago Santos. So, uh, you know, that 6'5 guy really shouldn't have been cutting down 185 pounds. I mean, the guy's absolutely huge. 
it's a tough call, but I'm, I'm going to go with Anthony Smith. You know, I feel like he is going to, you know, stay conscious enough. I feel like he might get clipped to the shot, but, you know, I feel like that might be best case scenario for him to get Volcan to dump out that energy tank. Because I feel like when Volcan goes past the first round, he guesses out. So uh, I'm going to say uh, Anthony Smith by fourth round finish. Uh, I think it's going to be a great fight, a, a good war. Both men are going to take a couple knocks on the chin. But uh, I see Smith taking over late and getting a finish. You know, I got a lot of respect for Anthony Smith, man, because you remember that fight against Laleco and the Cesar Mutanchi fight. I wasn't that impressed with Anthony Smith back then. I thought that, you know, he really was this jobber and he was at the tail end. He's a journeyman. Oh, he finally got to be in the UFC again. Because you remember, he did have that short-lived UFC stint back in the day. A lot of people don't know about that Antonio Braganetto fight, but... He paid his dues on the regional scene, came back. I, I never had high expectations for him, but I got to tell you what, man. I know I know, Rashad and Shogun are about to retire and stuff, but even prior to that, even some of those middleweight fights, uh, I, I was pretty impressed with Anthony Smith, man. You know, he's going out there knocking these guys out in the third round. You gas out against Anthony Smith, you will get finished. Now, as far as Volkan Uzdemir is concerned, I consider this closer to the Maheta matchup than I do to Rashad and, and Shogun, man. You know, Rashad and Shogun, you know, who knows if, uh, well, we know Rashad's never going to fight again. Who knows if Shogun's going to fight again after this Tyson Pedro fight, right? So I, I really feel like Volkan's got a lot more life left in the tank, similar to a uh, Maheta. But the interesting caveat is the 20 pounds extra of water in Anthony Smith's body and brain because this ain't just 15 pounds, Shaq. This is 20 pounds. So... Right then and there, I'm curious if he's going to be more durable than he has been in the past. Because I really do feel like those weight cuts were draining. The guy's six foot five, so man. But part of me is also like, he's been knocked out eight times, but every time Volcan's gotten past the first round, it's gotten sketchy. When he went past the first round with Kelly Anunson, he got choked out. When he went past the first round with OSP. He completely gassed out and uh, barely held on to win that split decision after dominating the first round. When he went past the first round with DC, listen, I, I, you know, it's DC, so we'll give him a pass. But it's just, historically speaking, when Volcan goes past the first round, shit gets sketchy. So, if this goes past the first round, I do favor Anthony Smith. However, I think Volcan's going to get it done early. I think he's going to hand Anthony Smith another KO loss. Anthony will be back like he always does, but uh, Volcan's going to get it done in no time. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, what's going on? Hey, not much, man. Uh, glad to have some fights back. Uh, haven't sweat some fights in a while, so looking forward to it. Hoping to win some money this weekend. And then we got a, a long stretch of fights to go, so... Let's start it off with some wins. I'm looking forward to it as well, man. And not only that, but this main event, I feel like it's flying under the radar. You got two guys who, I mean, let's be honest, these guys are proven finishers. And I have a feeling that fight doesn't go the distance prop, even though it's probably around minus 7 to minus 800 now. It's probably going to hit, man. So I got to know, you thinking Volcan's going to get it done early? Or you think uh, Anthony can weather that storm and take him out late? Uh, I think those are the two options. Uh and the fight doesn't go to the decision line is actually minus 925. So wow. this is the best fight on the card to target by far because of that. Um, I don't see this going to a decision either. Both guys going to get a finish and they're right there in the mid price. Um, so this is the fight that you want to go all in on. Uh, I don't, I don't care if it's 50, 50, uh, if you favor one side more than the other, go 60, 40, maybe 70, 30, something like that. But, you have to target this fight because the winner is going to be on the winning lineup at those prices. Uh, so I'm going to have both these guys. Uh, but I'll side with the underdog. Uh, save me the 600 bucks. I think Smith can weather the storm, maybe finish him late. But I'll definitely have my, my hedges with Ozdemir. Uh, I just think Smith's a more well-rounded fighter, and he has more ways to win this fight. He doesn't have to rely on the early knockout um, like Ozdemir does. But he's been knocked out eight times so Ozdemir's got a, a good spot for that reason so I don't know I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out I'm gonna have an investment in both these guys on DraftKings so uh, I'm just looking forward to it and hope it's a cool finish 
You know, I think it will be, man. You know, it might be a 30-second finish. It might be a fifth-round finish. But bottom line, I think someone will take a canvas nap in that fight. And, man, this co-main event between Michael Johnson and Artem Lobov is definitely a mismatch on paper. The question is, do you think Artem can last a three-round distance with a guy like Michael who, I mean, let's be honest, uh, he's got a massive speed advantage here and also a massive uh, level of competition uh, advantage as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is really an easy fight for Michael Johnson. And I, I think he could get the finish, really, in any round. Uh, I, I'm i going to go ahead and predict that he's going to win by a decision. But a knockout in any round would not surprise me at all. He's going to have such an edge on the feet here. Uh, Lobov's only shot is a knockout. If this goes to a decision, it's going to be a dominant decision by Johnson. And like you said, he's got so much speed. Um, and I I just don't see Lobov having a lot for him. So I think he's going to pick him apart for 15 minutes. And maybe he does end up dropping him and finishing him. So, yeah, Michael Johnson's really the pick here. I think, I, I mean, I, I don't even think you can really play Lobov in GPPs unless you think he is going to go out there and knock Johnson out. Because, I mean, it is on short notice. So he's got that going for him, I guess. He's got power. So, that's, I mean, that's really what you're relying on. I think he might actually make a better cash play because if this does go to 15 minutes then he can get like 30 35 points on a loss and that's cool and cash at his cheap 6.7k that he's at that allows you to get five favorites in your lineup so i'm, I'm okay with that but i would rather just avoid low bob period and if you're going to get someone here maybe get michael johnson at lower ownership let me ask you your opinion on the line itself man because I mean, Michael Johnson, look, he's had ups and downs against the best guys on planet Earth, but let's be real here. Wins over Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson, Edson Barboza. Do you think the line's a little short, man? Do you think it should be closer to upwards of uh, minus 1,000, minus 1,200? I think if he had a full camp, it would be, really. I, I think it's probably just the short notice that's keeping people a little bit shy from it. But I, I think it is a little bit short, and if I had to bet this fight, I'd rather lay the minus 600. Yeah. I, I feel you on that, man. So, look, Misha Serkinov and Patrick Cummins are both making their returns. They both got their asses beat in their last fights, but now it's an interesting matchup. We've seen with Misha Serkinov, he's not the guy that everyone thought he was. And with Pat Cummins, I mean, you know, if he's not going to wrestle you, he's going to get knocked out. So I got to know, is he going to wrestle him or is he going to get knocked out? Yeah, man, if I knew the answer to that, then that'd be perfect because if, <laughs> if he's going to wrestle him, and I knew that he's going to be successful wrestling him, then I would just avoid playing Serkinov. But I don't think he's going to have success for three rounds against Serkinov. Um, so I like Serkinov quite a bit here. His inside the distance line is, uh, where is it? It's minus 172. So that's pretty solid. And he's got three people priced above him. It wouldn't shock me if he went out there and was the highest scoring fighter on this card. So I definitely like, Serkinov, he's my preferred play. I'm not sure if I'm going to have Cummins or not at all, but if you think he is going to go out there and wrestle, then you should have him in your lineup because he's only 6,900, and if he can win with a wrestling game plan, he's going to kill that salary. Um, I just don't really see that happening here against Serkinov. Um, so Misha's the play. So Andre Sukumtuff. Andre Sukumtut is making his return. He's taking on the newcomer, the flyweight, Jonathan Martinez. Look, Andre's an explosive striker, man, but that fight IQ has really bit him in the ass uh, in all three of his UFC losses. Let's be honest. I mean, the Albert Morales fight, he had a chance to win. The Alejandro Perez fight, he dropped him three times and still lost. The Sean O'Malley fight, he had the kid injured and all he had to do was stand up and let him back up. And instead, he uh, opted to go in his guard. So this guy constantly self-sabotages himself. But he's talented. So I, I got to know, man, you think he's going to find a way to lose here or uh, you think he's actually going to put it together for once? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't really trust him after that O'Malley fight. So I don't know, man. This this is the hardest fight to call almost, uh, in my opinion, because you don't know how it's going to go down. You don't know uh, what this guy's going to do, really. But I think he should be favored here. I think he's uh, probably going to get the win. We got Martinez coming in on short notice up a weight class so uh that alone makes me favor Sukumtai. and i mean he's a decent fighter it's just he's not the smartest guy so i don't know if i like having my money on him but he is my pick to win i am a little bit interested in martinez though because of Sukumtai's uh fight iq i mean maybe he's gonna go to the ground and get submitted by martinez um i, I just don't know so i'm either gonna go full fade this fight or i'll have small exposure to both sides 
Uh, but it's not a fight that I'm going to be heavily invested in. Uh, I'm not confident either way. But they're they're kind of right there in the in the mid range of the salary, so they fit well. Uh, maybe they could end up on the optimal lineup. So I'm not sure. I mean, I'm I'm going back and forth. So I might just go ahead and th- like throw one of them in a lineup, uh, one each, and just see how it rolls. But nothing I'm going to go too crazy on. So John Vellante is making his return against Ed Herman. You got a guy in John Vellante who he's actually a decent athlete, man. I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't he a D1 football player and you know, might have wrestled at Hofstra with Chris Weidman as well. So, I mean, the guy's got a little bit of a background, but he is Chris Weidman's punching bag in the gym. Ed Herman is as slow as molasses. I mean, I get why Volante is favored, but you think he's going to find a way to drop the ball again, or you think he's going to get it done against uh, the 37-year-old? I think he gets it done. Um, it's just the problem is he's $9,000 on DraftKings, and at $9,000, we have to have the finish from him. So... I think this is really the worst fight on the card. I'm not looking forward to it at all. Um, so I think this is a solid fight to fade, but Volante would be my pick. If I was going to use this fight, I'd rather have Volante. He could go out there and get a finish because Herman's over the hill, um, but it's hard to rely on Volante getting a knockout. He, he always underperforms. He's not that good, period. Uh, so, man, I really don't want either one of these guys. So if you're making a few lineups, I would just fade this fight. So Nazrat Hakbarist is coming back. He's minus 900 against T-Bout Goody. When we've seen a lot of Goody's losses, you know, he's gotten smoked right away. But I feel like that Sage fight, even though on paper it is a loss, that was the best uh, Goody we've ever seen besides maybe the, the Holbrook KO win. So do you think this line is accurate, you know, for a guy that did lose to Marcin Held to be minus 900 here? Or do you feel like his performance against DeCasey warrants this price tag? Yeah, I think that performance alone i mean in just the matchup for him warrants the price tag um he's 9700 on DraftKings, so he's gonna have to get uh over 100 he's probably gonna need to be the highest scoring guy on the card to be on the winning lineup but i think he can do that this is really the perfect matchup for him um and his inside the distance line is uh minus 225 so that's pretty solid and then Wins in the first round is even money. So there's a good chance he gets over 100, and I, I do like paying up for him. If I can afford him, um, then I'll throw him in my lineup for sure. Uh, I don't have any interest in Goody here. I don't see how he gets the, the job done. So I'm rolling with the $9,700 hacks. Uh, Nasrat, whatever you want to say his last name. But uh, I like him, and I was real impressed with that last fight. So I, I do see him getting a first-round finish here. If you can afford 9700 throw him in there. Yeah, plus 100. I mean, it sounds like people are pretty confident he's going to finish this one in the first round. I was actually kind of surprised that that's what the line is. So, yeah, it sounds like uh, people think this is a mismatch. So I'm excited to see if it takes place like one, if it plays out like one. So, man, this chick matchup between Sarah Morass and Talita Bernardo is interesting because the girls that have beaten Talita Bernardo, you know, they're strikers, they stuff takedowns, they keep the fight standing. You want to gas a jiu-jitsu fighter out, you know, you got to stuff their takedowns. You got to make them work. The thing with Sarah Morass is she's going to pull guard. She's going to try to go for those arm bars. So do you actually think it's kind of an intriguing stylistic class, just the fact that you have a black belt in Bernardo taking on someone who wants to pull guard and wants to go for submissions in Morass? Yeah, definitely. Um, And I I like both sides kind of. I do think Bernardo's solid because she's probably still going to be going for those takedowns. I think Morass might be better on the feet here. So Bernardo's still going to need to get the takedowns and just win on top. Uh, or get a submission of her own. But Marais could finish this in the first round with that arm bar. So, I don't know. You kind of have to be interested in both sides, I think. But I'd rather just save the money, take uh, Bernardo at 7500 uh, But, man, it's, it's hard to trust her. She's not very good either. I just think Marais is easy to take down. So, as long as you don't get caught in that arm bar, then there's an easy path to victory here. So, um, I'll take Bernardo as the dog. But if Marais is going to be super low owned, she's worth a shot in GPPs because she could get 95 points with a few strikes and then a first round arm bar. So um, this fight, I mean, she'll she'll be lower owned. I'm not sure about Bernardo. So I don't know, man. It's probably GPP only for me. I don't really want to trust either of these guys in cash, but I'll take Bernardo to get the upset. So last but not least, 
Stevie Ray's making his return against Jessen Ayari. Jessen's dropping a 55 for the first time. We've noticed he had chin issues at 70 in both his UFC fights and on a couple of his regional fights. Now he's taking on Stevie Ray. Stevie, uh, job's on the line. Who you got? I'm going to take Stevie here. Uh, I think he's going to get it back on track. This is a solid matchup for him. I think it's going to be standing the whole time. And if it does go to the ground, it's probably going to be him that gets the takedown. So I like how he can mix it together. I just hope he does it. Um, and at 8,300, you don't really need 100 points from him. Um, so as long as he can get, you know, over 10x, then he's going to be a solid play. I'm not too interested in Iari. His inside the distance lines plus 627. So I, I don't see him scoring highly even at his dog price tag of 7,900. So Stevie Ray here is the only guy I'll be interested in. And I hope he fights harder than he did against Cajun. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday in Canada. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. Kyle, any message for them? Now, let's make this money. Uh, I'll have my article available, $7.99. Just follow my Twitter. I'll post everything there. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to get this win streak going. Yes, sir. We've got to finish the year out in style, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So we'll speak next week, Kyle. All right, let's get it. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Moncton? Yeah, my fight to watch is going to be uh, Sean Strickland versus Nordine Taleb. You know, I'm interested to see how that chess match is going to play out. Uh, I like watching both guys fight. I like both of their approaches. You know, I'm interested to see both guys need to win. Uh, a loss to both of these guys would be devastating. So, you know, uh, that's my fight to watch. Yeah, I mean, anytime Sean Strickland and Nordine Taleb get in there, I always enjoy watching both of them fight. But for me, the fight to watch is Calvin Cater versus Chris Fishgold, man. Calvin Cater, we've been we've been uh, highly touting this guy on the show for a while. And Chris Fishgold making her UFC debut with a 17-1 record. The first grappler that Calvin's fought in a very long time. Sign me up. I'm very fucking interested in Calvin Cater versus Chris Fishgold. That is my fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Moncton? My fighter to watch is going to be Anthony Smith, man. Uh, you know, if he can get this one, I'll be another career resurgence. I mean, he was kind of middle of the pack at 185. And if he can just move up 20 pounds and, you know, beat the number two guy in the world, I mean, holy shit, man. You know, that will, you know, prove once again that uh, these guys moving up in weight classes are, you know, uh, running this game. So, you know, uh, Anthony's my fighter to watch. You know, he's got 13 losses on his record. And, you know, uh, he's saying he's going to go out there and demolish Volcan. So we'll see about that. But uh, Anthony Smith is my fighter to watch. Yeah, that main event is must-see TV. My fighter to watch is uh, Don Maj. No, but look, my fighter to watch is Michael Johnson, man. Listen, I know he's one of the biggest favorites on the card and this and that. But I I'm kind of putting a lot of pressure on Michael Johnson. I want to see if he goes out there and smokes Artem. I feel like it's such a mismatch. I mean, this is the easiest fight Michael Johnson has had on paper in years like this is like <laughs> i feel like the dude uh in his mind i wonder if he feels like he even has to train at 100 percent for this fight i mean he's fighting a fucking 13 and 14 guy this is a guy that knocked out dustin poirier and beat tony ferguson so i just feel like it's such a mismatch and i really want to see if michael johnson is going to go out there and uh style on this guy so michael johnson is my fighter to watch Shaq. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going on this Saturday. UFC Moncton. It's in Canada. Don't ask me where the fuck Moncton is because I just don't know. But it is in Canada. I will tell you that much. Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.